Welcome to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is a community helping New Yorkers embody the love of Christ for the good of our neighbors. For more information, go to goodshepherdnewyork.com. May you be filled with curiosity, grace, and peace as we listen and learn together through this sacred text. And now a reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning to you. My name is Michael Rizzina, and I'm one of the pastors here at Good Shepherd New York. Before I offer my reflection on this text, I'd like to invite you into a moment of quiet. This is our way as a community of saying that these sacred moments aren't just about me doing what I do and you doing what you do, that there's another dynamic involved. In the Christian tradition, we open our sacred text. We hope for God's spirit to be guiding, speaking, inviting, nudging, comforting, and challenging us. And so for us, this moment of quiet is a moment of openness. And it doesn't matter who you are this morning. It doesn't matter how much faith or doubt you bring, joy or sorrow you bring. We simply invite you to bring your full self. And as best as you know how, open yourself to the Creator and to your neighbor. So let's take that moment now, quiet moment. I encourage you to feel the parts of you that are closed right now opening up with every inhale, welcoming new ways of being, new ways of thinking, opening new neural pathways. Imagine for a moment the kind of person that you want to be on this planet. Invite God's help toward that vision right now. And with every exhale, Simply let go of whatever you need to let go of today. God, be our guide, we pray. Amen. Well, my wife and I have four children, and when you tell people that in New York, they're bound to respond to you like you just broke the news that you have cancer. Right? There's this initial look of shock, followed by a look of sympathy, and then quickly followed up with something akin to, I'll be praying for you, or you can beat this. But with the experience of four children comes the experience 
of giving someone a name. Now, names can be powerful. Each of our children have a name that we put so much energy and thought and prayer into. But we learn pretty quickly with our first child that it's also a vulnerable thing to share the possibility of a baby name. We'd casually throw it out there for anyone interested the first time around. We'd even talk about different options that we were considering. And of course, it felt good when someone smiled or someone became excited or maybe shared a story of someone that they loved or admired who once shared that same name. But we were also met with other responses. Responses like uh, when, when we'd, they'd ask, what's the name? And we would respond uh, with the name and then they'd say, really? Or some would say, huh. And every once in a while, there was a look of disgust or horror that would come on someone's face. And then they'd share a story of someone who shared the name that we were considering, but that they didn't care for or even despised. My favorite was the ever neutral but teetering on critical response. Interesting. And so we made an executive decision after our first child. We wouldn't share the name of our baby until the baby was here. And what we found is that when that bundle of beautiful was cooing and staring through crinkled eyes and furrowed brows, that somehow, when the name was announced, it was received as nearly divine. Now, there's something primal about our names. Today is Good Shepherd Sunday, right? Churches all over the world are considering this powerful metaphor for God. And it also happens to be our name. A little over a year ago today, we changed the name of our church to Good Shepherd New York. And so I thought I'd take this opportunity to share why we embrace this new name, how it connects to our identity as a community, and also to our vision for life here in New York City, all rooted in Jesus' teaching from our gospel text. So I begin with the simple question, why the name Good Shepherd? Well, first of all, this metaphor is a refreshing contrast to the often harsh reality of our city. Right? New York is a pressure cooker. Right? The city fosters many traits in us over time. I've lived here for almost 10 years, and I can say it's profoundly shaped me, if in no other way in the willingness that I have had to be bold and forthright. Right? You have to learn that trait here to survive and to thrive. I've kicked taxi cabs as they came too close to my children. I've kicked rats as they scurried between construction sites to trash piles. I've told a person bluntly to stop eating food on the train. When I overheard a tour guide suggesting bottled water instead of New York tap water, I interrupted saying, hey, don't listen to him, New York's got the best tap water. And then I shook my head as I walked off, mumbling something like, what's the matter with these people? In short, I've become Larry David. <laughs> but the Good Shepherd metaphor is a much-needed contrast to the hard edges that the city requires of us. It's a pastoral metaphor, one that could be really beautiful and open up possibilities for an urban environment. The truth is the church is at its best when it's pastoral. And when the church is pastoral, it focuses on concrete realities. How are things really, right? How are people really doing? It privileges people over ideas, people over issues, people over pretty much anything. Jesus did this all the time. You know, the Sabbath rolls around, a sacred day in the Hebrew imagination, and there's a response to that sacredness uh, that had built up, which was to regulate it. 
define work, define the limits of work, and be as specific as possible. But at several points, Jesus brushes these ideas aside. His disciples pick grain on the Sabbath, and the religious leaders freak out. He heals on the Sabbath, and again, the religious leaders freak out. Jesus has to recenter the debate, and he does so in a pastoral way. He says, quote, the Sabbath was made for humans, not humans, for the Sabbath. In that pithy comment, Jesus gives us a paradigm for pastoral instincts. There are so many great things in the world, but they are great inasmuch as they support human flourishing. If something, no matter how great it is, begins to get in the way of flourishing, or worse, begins to damage that flourishing, then it's time to re-examine, to reimagine. Our ideas are a great example. You know, ideas, they matter, they have consequences, but If somehow a culture around the purity of an idea begins to hurt or damage people, it's time to rethink the idea or our relationship to the idea. This is why I love pastoral theology. It builds a vision of God and life from the ground up, so to speak. Taking the Bible, taking tradition, yes, and listening deeply to both, but also acknowledging the importance and the inevitability of our experience as the primal filter. There's so much possibility when it comes to this pastoral metaphor for life. I'll share with you three. The first possibility that excites me is being able to transcend transactional relationships. This city can foster relationships that are purely transactional. In our gospel text, we learn that the good shepherd cares, that the good shepherd makes sacrifices even. But there's another character here that Jesus mentions, the hired hand. And the most important thing to observe about the hired hand is that they are, well, hired. Their care is artificial. Their care is self-referential and self-interested. New York can do that to relationships, or perhaps it can shape us into people that approach relationships in that way. We live, after all, in the holy land of networking culture. Now, I'm not hating on networking, right? It's so important to this city, and we all have to be engaged in it. This is a reality that's not going anywhere. So let's be realistic. Let's get pastoral, not theoretical about it. First of all, networking will not give you roots, right? It will not give you the safety net when your life falls apart. It cannot heal your soul, and it cannot transform you in the way of love. In New York, we're often haunted by the question, are people into me because of blank? We're called Good Shepherd because we believe that the possibility of the church to transcend social boundaries is staggering. In this city, you need a community that can walk with you in those moments when others will bail, when others would cancel, when others would ghost, when others would disappear. Do you have relationships that transcend self-interest? Relationships that can speak the truth, that can listen earnestly, that are committed to you, come high or low? Are you the kind of person that can transcend self-interest yourself? Our name moves us in that direction. Now, the second possibility that excites me is the possibility of intimacy in a city of anonymity and isolation. This city can foster anonymity and isolation like no place else. It's in this context that we need to hear deeply Jesus' words in this text. Quote, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Intimacy is at the heart of everything. Jesus talked a lot about it. He mentions eternal life 
And he talks about eternal life in terms of intimacy. He says in John 17, this is eternal life, that they know you, O God, and me, whom you've sent. See, life is about knowing and being known. And what makes life sing is not when we're merely known, but when we are known and embraced, known and loved, known and accepted. The city breeds meritocracy. Everyone flexing the resume virtues, everyone faking until making, everyone in cell mode or brand mode 24-7. Where can you let your guard down? Where can you take your armor off? Where can you be known? This is one reason our contemplative approach is so important. We need silence. We need stillness. We need solitude to be with God, to be with ourselves, and to be with others in a way that's curious and open and learning and mutual. This city and our lives in it get stuck in the flexing and the frenzy. The pace is incredible. And we need to learn how to slow down, how to pay attention, how to make space for people to know them and to be known ourselves. We respond to people here. We're dazzled by people here in this city. We perform for people here, but rarely are we known. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. The shepherd speaks into a profound receptivity. And we hope as a church that we can be a receptive community that grows in intimacy rather than falling into the trap of isolation. Finally, I think the possibility of inclusion over tribal behavior is staggering. The city, though often looked upon politically as a beacon of inclusion, can foster relationships that are tribal like the best of them. The city is extremely stratified economically. It's increasingly gentrified. Alec Baldwin coyly put it, every day Manhattan is becoming more like Beverly Hills. There's the tribe of the accomplished. Exclusive circles, exclusive access, exclusive experiences. Exclusivity is the currency in a city that's short on property and stuff. We can become insular politically, assuming the city is a monolith. It's here that Eric Garner was killed. It's here that an Asian lady was kicked and beaten in front of bystanders who would not intervene. For all the protests and the marches and the good policies that have been enacted around race here, there is still a deep racism at work. We assume because our city is diverse that we're inclusive, but we must not mistake proximity to difference as the same thing as inclusion. HBO did a documentary about our neighborhood where this church exists, and it was called Class Divide. It followed the lives of two communities that have little to no interaction with each other, though they're only across the street. In a city and in a world that nourishes that tribal human instinct, Jesus says, quote, I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen, end quote. We live in a moment of polarizing purity codes. I grew up in the religious South. I knew purity codes pretty well. It's where shame and disgust thrive. It's a place where nonconformity requires separation. What's been surprising to me is the way that this has arisen in other social modes, even in cities, liberal cities. There are new sins, new orthodoxies, new heretics, new exclusive institutions and communities. In a culture of polarizing purity codes on the right and the left, religious and irreligious, our church is all about expanding the we. In Jesus' teaching here, it is the wolves that scatter and the good shepherds that gather. 
There are so many leaders and communities that scatter us, that fracture us, that solidify the lines that separate us. Our church seeks to cultivate a listening and receptivity beyond our flock, beyond our tribe. We want that sense of larger solidarity that dissolves the easy us versus them ways of viewing the world and relating to the world. We want to practically break that down. But all this requires sacrifice. Jesus says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. If we realize the possibility of this metaphor in this city, or this country for that matter, we'll need to make some deep commitments. This language of laying down life, it's not about a morbid goal. It's about a deep commitment to a central goal. Jesus doesn't aim to die. He aims for life. He aims for intimacy. He aims for relationships that are mutual, not transactional. He aims for a solidarity beyond tribal lines. And he's so committed to that, so committed to that direction, that he's willing to sacrifice himself for it. Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to lay your life down to experience the kind of life here in New York? What sacrifices are you willing to make as you consider this metaphor of what it means to be pastoral, to follow the Good Shepherd in a place like New York City? May God's Spirit give us grace and power and courage to move closer and closer to what Jesus paints for us here in this teaching about the Good Shepherd. And may we as a community be a beacon of light and respite and rest for those who are... Thank you for listening to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the Apostles and Nicene creeds, but we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you would like to support us, please text Good Shepherd NY, all lowercase with no spaces, to 77977. That's Good Shepherd NY to 77977. Or visit our website, goodshepherdnewyork.com. Thank you for listening.